Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Hello, and thank you for joining us. Today's episode of Real Ghost Stories Online is an encore presentation. It's some of our best ghost stories of all time. Didn't want to leave you high and dry without an episode, so today you get some of the best real ghost stories that we've ever heard here on Real Ghost Stories Online. And feel free, if you have a real ghost story, to call it in at 855-853-4802. Or, of course, you can always just write into the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Enjoy today's encore presentation of Real Ghost Stories Online. Real Ghost Stories Online. Phone number again is 855-853-4802 to call in with your real ghost stories. We would love to hear them. Let's go to uh, one of those calls right now. Hi. Hi there. I just wanted to call in. Um, I've been listening to your show for quite a while, and um, I'm not going to use my real name, but my initial is E. Um, I'm currently going to grad school to be a therapist, and um, I think that what you're doing is awesome. It's definitely entertaining. And um, as far as therapists um, dealing with people who go through paranormal um, experiences, I just wanted to say that um, it's kind of how you deal with religion. And I mean, I know that, you know, everybody has their own religion. I mean, I totally understand that. But um, some people believe in ghosts, some people don't. You know, some people think that ghosts are like non-existent and they kind of get offended whenever you mention them. Some people don't. You know, I'm one of those people who don't. And um, it's kind of like you have to read what the person that you're dealing with feels and you have to kind of go with what their beliefs are and um, honestly to be truthful with you if I um, I haven't dealt with anybody that has dealt with the paranormal yet but if I ever did I just wanted to say that you had a caller earlier that said that she would definitely refer them to you and honestly I think I probably would do the same thing Um, at least um, you know what you're doing is great you know you have a bunch of reputable reputable people that are calling you and you know talking to you and um i think it kind of i'm sorry i'm so nervous <laughs> this is my first time calling in so i'm sorry but um anyway what you're doing is great it's awesome i love you guys and just keep doing what you're doing, and I think that you guys are going to explode because there are so many people that deal with these things on a daily basis, and they have, like, no way to talk about it without sounding crazy. And this is going to sound really sad, but a lot of people that talk to therapists, they do not want to breach, you know, the subject of the paranormal with their therapist because they're like, you know what, this person can probably have me committed. <laughs> I mean, it's... They probably wouldn't, but it's kind of like, you know, the stereotype that you have, you know, therapists, you know, they're there to tell you if you're crazy or not, which is totally not true, but people think that, and, you know, it's kind of, the more you talk about it, the more knowledge there is, the more people feel comfortable with talking about it, and the better it is for society as a whole, because people deal with stuff, and they need to be able to feel comfortable telling people what they're dealing with because it's just insane to me that 
there's just this, you know, stereotype or not a stereotype, what's the word? It's like they don't feel comfortable enough to tell people, even though they're paying you like out the wazoo per hour, they don't want to tell you what they're feeling and how can they get any help. But I don't know, this is, I mean, I don't know, people are crazy. And I love it. I love crazy people because I'm one too. Anyway, thank you so much and please keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you so much for the call. And I have to say to me personally, that is like the highest compliment I can get to know that somebody in that field feels that we are doing something that's beneficial, that actually, you know, is more than just entertainment, that it's actually helpful to people. That just gives me such, you know, that, that just it just makes me want to do this forever. And, you know, I agree with why people feel like they can't tell their therapist what they're truly going through. And I agree that, you know, they probably have a misconception of what the therapist can and cannot do and why they are there. You know, they, they probably do feel like they run the risk of being committed or diagnosed with something because they share their experience. And so, like we've said before, we're here just to listen and to analyze not the person that's telling the story but to analyze the story itself to try and help them figure out what they've gone through if we can and you know I just feel like to be that outlet is such an honor it's kind of interesting we kind of just try and take the stigma away from the uh, the topic of ghosts and paranormal because it is one of those topics where if you're amongst like-minded friends or non-judgmental friends it's a topic that can be approached and can actually lead a pretty good conversation but unfortunately it's rare to get that group of folks who are all fairly like-minded on the topic um that you can approach it and that's really what this community is it's pretty much all like-minded people thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them that uh you know you're not just having to share it with you know maybe the one or two people you feel comfortable with you can throw it out there anonymously if you want or with your name it's completely up to you um and very likely in that sea of people there's other folks who've had a similar situation to yours um that can relate and you can kind of find some comfort not only in just getting it off your chest but knowing other folks out there have probably been through a similar thing and probably help you, you know, not only get it off your chest but make sense of it sure sure and that's kind of what uh what a lot of this show is and for those who don't have anything it's entertainment because they're interested in the topic. So right. it's like a win-win for everybody. It's We have our sect of people who are here for entertainment. We have our sect of people who are, who are here for literally like a group therapy type session. And I think you have your sect that are here for both. You yeah. know, where it's, you know, it's a little bit of entertainment and it's a little bit of, yeah, I, I've been there, done that. And I, I, it's good to hear other folks who've been in that, that sort of a situation. Yeah. Well, and I feel like our podcast is so different than other, you know, ghost story type organizations yeah. because we operate on a different paradigm we come to it with not the thought of is there or is there not something out there but yeah. we're like been there done that there's something out there let's analyze what the yeah. different things are i'm not interested in improving that there's ghosts out there because i think there is based on the thousands of stories that we get um i think we're past that and and i'm also not super interested in what equipment you're using and you know like there's 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 the uber scientific ghost shows out there which have a place but this is not that you know because it's I, I you know you don't get a whole lot of fulfillment if you're trying to to really seek out answers you know i think in just proving that they're out there because it's already established if you're calling in something happened to you i know we have a few that are um thoroughly entertained skeptics mm -hmm. but you know i i think 
if they completely believed it was all nonsense, they really wouldn't in- be interested. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. And there's a lot of folks who are, in fact, ghost hunters out there. I know that um, that uh, they, they go into it extremely skeptical, and they stay they stay skeptical, and they they stay that way till they try and find something. And I know m- many who go out there and seek this stuff out, trying to find something. And it's not like the TV shows where they. Every time there's EVPs and this or that. I know many who've been doing it for years and haven't gotten jack. Uh-huh. Um, but they keep going. Um, and that's where, you know, that's interesting to me because if you're constantly out there doing it, I would think by laws of elimination, eventually you would get something, you know, on tape or something. Just, just something. Sure. Um, but that to me is also an, in- an interesting thing where I think only certain people you know, have the ability to sense it and to pick up on it. And maybe are that they'll be open to. I, I think that's part of it, too. It's just one of those many layers to this whole topic that you can just go off on tangents on and then walk away from going. Yeah. Or it could be this whole other thing, too, because there's really there's so many non-finite answers on this topic. Uh, 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call in to Real Ghost Stories Online. Letter here. Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Caitlin, the empath in California. I decided to write in instead of calling because I tend to ramble when I call, so I think I can better communicate this way. I love the stories of people who have a loved one visit them after passing. I haven't had quite that experience, but something similar, I think. When I was about 13, my grandfather was very ill with cancer, and we knew he wasn't going to have very long. I lived in California, and he was in New York. My mom had flown out to be with him, but my sister, dad, and I were still in California. I had a really close bond with my mom, so I've never known if this was more tied specifically to my grandfather's passing or my mom's emotions. It was a Sunday morning, and my dad, sister, and I went to church. I couldn't stop crying through the whole service, not sobbing, just kind of tears quietly streaming down my face. I was aware that my grandfather wasn't doing well, but I didn't have any updates from New York that morning. When we got home, I went to my room to change. All of a sudden, I just started bawling. So, so much so that my sister came into my room to see what was wrong. Shortly after that, my mom called us to let us know that her father had just passed. The timing was such that I had started bawling at the time he passed. I feel like my emotions preceded the knowledge, so I wonder if this was coincidence, sensing his departure, or as an empathetic connection with my mom. I lean towards a connection with my mom because we do have a strong bond and we tend to do things such as call each other at the exact same time. It's at least a weekly thing, if not more often, that I pick up the phone to call her and it rings with her on the other line or vice versa. We even tease each other about being a a minute late if one thinks of the other and it takes longer than a few seconds for the phone to ring. I'm in no way suggesting that I'm psychic or know the future. It's just an uh, empathetic connection. I'm curious about other people's thoughts or similar experiences. I have so many other stories that I'd like to share and get other people's opinions on, but for now, I'll just write one more. I live fairly close to San Diego, and there's a historical district called Old Town. There are many historical buildings and preserved areas, and it's fun to walk around and learn about the way people used to live. There's a particular house that's called the Whaley House, built by Thomas Whaley in 1857. Did I say the name right? 
W-H-A-L-E-Y? I'm guessing so. Okay. The house has doubled as a general store and a courtroom in its time, too. The house is supposed to be one of the most haunted in the country and featured on countless TV most haunted lists. It's even the subject of a terribly inaccurate B-horror movie that's on Netflix. There are several people supposed to haunt the house, including a daughter who committed suicide after her husband left her and a man who was tried, sentenced, and hanged on the spot in the house uh, that was uh, later built and is uh, he's buried down the street. The house is now open for self-guided tours and has many, many artifacts and antiques from the time it was built and lived in. The first time I visited was with my parents. While in the upstairs part of the house, my dad crept up behind my mom to grab her and scare her. She was wearing a sleeveless dress, and when he grabbed her shoulders, he didn't succeed in scaring her, but he did discover that one arm was ice cold and the other was normal body temperature. There are a few things that make me think uh, this is at least odd, if not something paranormal. First, there's no air conditioning in the house, as it was built in 1857, and it was a warm summer day. Second, it's most commonly believed that ghosts or entities cause cold spots. Third, the exact same thing happened to me years later when I visited it with a boyfriend. I was wearing short sleeves with a war- on a warm summer day. He put his arms around me to hug me from behind, and one of my arms was ice cold and the other normal temperature. Paranormal? I'm not sure, but I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks for sharing my stories, and I love being an EPP. Caitlin. Thank you, Caitlin. You know, with your first story and um, being an empath, I think that your connection may actually have been more sensing the passing of your grandfather because I doubt that your mom got the news exactly at the time that he passed. Unless she was right there in the room. Well, that's true. That's true. But she we was don't, there. She was there. Yeah, she was. She went to oh, New York. So. Well, then that's that's hard to say. I'm going on the the her mom thing. Okay. See, I didn't pick up on the yeah. mom being there in the room. Yeah, the mom flew to New York. Okay. And uh so she was there with the the grandfather. So I'm assuming it was like probably overwhelming emotion with the mom. Uh-huh. And then the daughter picked up. That's my assumption. I would say so. I I agree with that now that I've put that together. And it's funny that you talk about the connection with your mom. My mom and I are both very close like that. In fact, there's so many times we plan to go someplace together and we neither one talk about what the other one's going to wear. And then we end up showing up to the same place where I go to pick her up and she's wearing almost identical type outfit to what I am. And we don't go buy the same clothes at the same store, but color, I, you know, the whole idea, the concept happens more times than not. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that. And I know that's just a real trivial example, but that's, that's the one that I ha- happen to notice the most. We run into them a lot of places too that we Yeah, we, we do. Go to. More so than anyone else I've ever run into. I run into them a lot, you know, or we run uh-huh. into them a lot, um, more than friends or anything else. It's like, oh, we're doing the same thing today. Yeah, you know? we had the same idea yeah. to do the same thing. Yeah. It's a lot of antique stores, but... <laughs> it is. It was a flea market yesterday. It was a flea market yesterday, yes. Um, another uh, one of these uh, locations are the 10 most terrifying places in the Midwest uh, from the Mysterious Heartland website that someone referred us to. This one's in Algoma Township in Michigan. Uh, this is called Hell's Bridge. The bridge is somewhat unique in that it was exclusively designed for pedestrians. It's located in the woods of a road called Frisky Drive, just north of the 12-mile uh, road near a dirt turnaround. A bridge allows hikers to cross over 
which feeds into the nearby Rogue River. It's uh, basically a supported steel mesh with no guardrails. Over the years, this spot has developed a sinister reputation, and local legend states that uh, sometime in the distant past, a man named Elias Frisky murdered several children and dumped their bodies in the creek, claiming the devil made him do it. Visitors report encountering unexplained temperature drops, seeing a misty figure, or hearing a sound of children crying and splashing in the water. Also, if you stand on the bridge at midnight, you'll supposedly hear the devil scream in triumph. Urban legend, again. Okay. You know, but uh, interesting. And again, I'd love to, to you know, get down to the, uh, the root of some of these. And, you know, it's kind of interesting when we throw some of these out there while they are. It, it's hard to say they're real ghost stories, quote unquote, you know, with urban legend type stories like this. But with the, the sheer amount of people who listen to the show, you can usually get a couple folks who can weigh in and go, OK, here's the real story. And fill in the blanks. And fill in the blanks. So feel free if you do have the uh, the backstory to any of these other than the urban legend, um, but maybe know a little bit more about it. Uh, we would love to hear it because that's always really interesting. Is it's getting that little snippet of you know, where did this? What's the origin of it? Now you had lived in Michigan at one time. Had you heard of that? Not of this one. No. no. I, I know of Algoma Township, but I've I've never heard of Hell's Bridge. I know of Hell, Michigan. There's a town literally called Hell, and then of course the uh, the fun thing to do if you're a tourist and you go through it in winter is take a picture of the Welcome to Hell sign. And, uh, you know, it's frozen and there's icicles hanging off of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, frozen over. There you go. And I'm sure the locals just would love to run you down with their pickup trucks when they see people standing there doing that. (laughs) Not another one. (laughs) Um, 855-853-4802. 855-853-4802 with your real ghost stories. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. Uh, My name is John. I'm from Virginia. And I just wanted to thank you, first of all, for having uh, such a great podcast uh i actually found the podcast uh, after researching a little bit more about the conjuring uh, after it came out and uh i found tony's podcast on that and i've enjoyed each uh episode since then and i loved how the uh how the episodes have grown and this show has changed and uh, and the help that you guys are allowing people um to uh be able to call in with their stories and and um, and talk about things that they seem that they couldn't necessarily uh, explain. But uh, just wanted to thank you guys again and um, tell you my story. Um, I've got a few, and I'll call back if you guys are, are interested. But um, most of mine have not been um, a bad ghost or anything like that. But um, um, definitely disturbing and and then two that were uh, uh, somewhat helpful um, but uh, I'm a musician I play music and travel uh, for work uh, now I'm currently working a, a, a real job uh, but years ago when I played music um, when I was first starting to learn how to play I spent a lot of time with a friend that uh, when we were in uh, high school we would travel around pile around everywhere together and, and try to play as much music as we could to kind of hone our skills. We had been playing uh, at a festival uh, with a lot of his friends and family, and um, he had a lot of uh, siblings, and I was staying at his house currently, and we went to um, 
to go play at this event and we decided to um to go and um we played and at his house there was a rule where if you were out too late um <laughs> sorry that's my uh, gps not a uh, evp so just in case if anyone heard that um i'm driving but um at his house, if you were the last people to get there for dinner, you had to clean up after eight siblings. So it was it was kind of important that you made it um, back home uh, at a reasonable time, and preferably when his dad was uh, ready to um, sorry um, to um, get home from work, and, and that way everyone could eat kind of together. And they were pretty old fashioned about that. And um, we were out, and we were you know, realizing that it was starting to get late and we needed to, uh, to make our way back home. So we were trying to make our way back through, um, you know, we were not far from where he lived at, but it was a lot of farmland and country areas. So we were passing cornfields and, and stuff. And so he had this idea where he said, you know, I, I know I live kind of over, you know, not far away. And he kind of pointed in a Southeast direction and said, uh, let's just cut through this way. And, you know, we'll probably come out on the other side near my road and we'll be fine. And we did that and it was starting to get dark and we actually got turned around and got lost. And we, uh, we kind of came up on the edge of a cornfield that had a, a dirt road that cut through the center of it. And we seen a, a cabin with a light on and it looked like someone at the porch, uh, at the cabin. So we, we walked down and we had our guitars with us and we walked down and, uh, there's a guy sitting on the porch with a dog, and he was uh, cutting an apple with a knife and eating it, and rocking in a chair. And, and uh, he you know, spoke to my friend and, and asked him if he was uh, um, his friend's, uh, his uh, neighbor's son, and, and he said yes. And he said, we were trying to find our way back home. We got lost. It's getting dark, and we're already going to be in trouble. And, and the guy kind of smiled at us and he laughed and he said, yeah, he said, I know your dad. He, he probably isn't going to like that. So uh, he said, I'll tell you what, though. He said, you cut by the house here and go through the field. And um, he said, you'll see another corn row. And he said, just turn left by it and you'll come out uh, actually right across the street from where your house is. And you'll know where you're at. So we thanked him and we kind of hustled. Uh, through the area that he told us to and we came out and sure enough there was his house and we went in and of course we were late and uh, we caught uh, a bunch of uh, uh, crap over being late and once everybody was done eating we had to wash dishes and while we were washing dishes his dad asked us what had happened and so we told him you know we got lost and then we found uh, this old guy and he kind of told us how to get back and and his dad kind of got a strange look in his eye, and he said, well, where was this at? And we told him. And he said, come on, boys. And uh, he grabbed us up, and he grabbed a gun, and we went and hopped in his pickup truck and took off uh, flying back out of his road and, and uh, went toward this place. And we got there, um, and his dad was basically telling us on the way um, that that was, you know, no one was supposed to be at that place, that so that was, you know, um, family property and, and no one should have been on there and that kind of thing. And so we get there and um, there was little to no cabin last. The porch had separated from the house. The, the roof had collapsed in. Uh, obviously there was no electricity or anything. There was no 
guy, no dog, no, nothing that was even remotely there or looked like it did while we were uh, there just, you know, an hour before. Um, and uh, his, you know, dad kind of looked at us like we were making it up, but um, he took it very seriously because he, he knew that we wouldn't have, uh, you know, just told him the story, but he he was serious you know, in thinking that it was someone that had um, maybe been a vagrant or a homeless person that maybe, had, you know, was kind of, um, you know, shacking up there or something. And, uh, you know, but we, you know, we appreciated the ghost uh, telling us where and how to get home. But uh, anyway, I hope hope the story made sense. I was kind of nervous. It's first time calling in. And um, so that was kind of a helpful ghost, uh, this little freaky, and uh, definitely stood out in our minds. And uh, we never really talked about it much since uh, then, and we continued to to be friends and everything, uh, but uh, I've got uh, I've got a few other stories and and some that um, my mom had told me that um, um, was uh, concerning and, and creepy and and, and after uh, listening to you guys' podcast and, and shows, uh, definitely are, are more concerned uh, now uh, with my mom and my dad and their home and where they live. Um, because of the shadow figures that my mom has stated that she's seen and what they've done. So, um, but anyway, um, if you'd like for me to call back, just uh, say so. And I'd be glad to tell a couple more stories. And again, thank you guys for the show and, and I love everything. And uh, hope this made sense. Thanks. Bye. It made sense. Thank you for calling. And yes, uh, we would like you to call back and share. Uh, some more of those stories. I'd be really interested in hearing what uh, what is going on there with these at his mom's house and the shadow people. 855-853-4802. Of course, you can always write into us as well at realghoststoriesonline.com. Let's go to a call. Hi. Hi. Um, hello to everyone, and Tony and uh, Jenny. Um, I noticed that you folks have been talking a lot about um, saging and the way Native people sage. I thought I'd throw in my two bits of experience, um, and people can use it for what it is. I stayed at a uh, group house for Aboriginal women. Those are Native uh, people of uh, North America. I'm in Canada. We call Native people Aboriginal. And um, they were generous enough to let a non-Aboriginal, such as myself, stay there. Um, The short of it is that the place was haunted. Um, it became apparent, very apparent to a woman who was the daughter of a holy man, or what, uh, what people would call a medicine man, and it became apparent to me. Um, this spirit did not like small children, and it had already um, killed an infant in the house on a, before most of us moved in. Um, what the, they had to do, the house was owned by several bands of Indians, which were subsets of tribes. They had to have a holy man, they had to have us out of the house, have a holy man come in, and for a week, he smudged, which is smudging for Native people is um, the burning of sage. But at the same time, he cleanses himself spiritually before he does it, and then he burns the sage. And he said our problem was we had a smudging room in the basement where women who were not cleansing themselves spiritually were burning the sage. 
the shorthand of it is, according to Native people, what happens is that um, when you burn the sage, you, uh, the prayer is to call down the spirits, and you will call down the spirit of whatever your deepest intention or emotion is. If you're angry, or you're angry because you're stuck with kids, um, it'll call down those kinds of spirits. And so the holy man said, close off the smudging room and don't allow any of the women to smudge themselves, to, to do smudging themselves. So just a caveat, according, and that according to uh, a native holy man, um, you're not, it's, it's very unwise for um, people who are not holy men to try and smudge or burn sage um, because it does have the effect of sending out whatever intention you may have in yourself. Uh, you might want to approach an Indian band in your area and ask the advice of their holy man, not people who present themselves to you, and to get the word from him about smudging, which is what burning sage is. Okay, I hope that's helpful to someone, and God bless you all. All right, bye-bye. Well, thank you for calling in with that. And, um, you know, once again, it's kind of like, unless you know how to do it right, it's it's not something you probably want to mess with. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's one of those things where you, know, you can hear a ton of stories about it or how somebody used it for this or that. And uh, their outcome may not always be your outcome. And unless you know what you're doing, uh, which just listening to other stories about other people and what they're doing, you know, like we, we tell, we've heard stories of exorcisms and things of that nature on the show. But most of, most of us with a, uh, a sensible mind are not about to go out there and try and perform an exorcism. Right. You know, um, I think, you know, it's the same with with smudging, with any of that, unless you really have experience in that and you were taught how to do it one-on-one by someone with experience in that and, and you're knowledgeable, I don't think it's something you should just naturally practice. As much as I would like to start selling Demon Away in a bottle, <laughs> um, probably not going to happen and probably not a good idea. As a product to purchase, should I ever market and sell Demon Away. But wait, if you call now, we will throw in Ghost in a Jar absolutely free. So you can have rounds of fun. Let it out, smudge it away. Let, exactly. Then let, it, let out, it out and smudge, smudge it, away. it away. Exactly. It's uh, set it and forget it. There you go. <laughs> let it out and forget it. And yeah, exactly. It's like the Ronco product. He'll probably buy it out eventually and you'll see it on Sunday morning infomercials. And they'll give away a juicer with it as well. I always wanted to get the uh, the Miracle Blade. Remember the Miracle Blade infomercials at all when we were kids? Was that the one where they tossed food in the air and sliced it? Yeah, well, that might have been the Ginsu. Because oh, okay. Ginsu was pretty big, and then the Miracle Blade. And Miracle Blade was a Ronco product. And the Miracle Blade, um, they, uh, they were cutting, like, shoes in half and, like, metal pipes. And what I was most excited about was the, but wait, if you call right now, we'll give you these juicers absolutely free. And it was like the little plastic juicer that you jam into an orange, and then you squeeze the orange really hard, and then the juice just magically pours out of the orange. Yeah, I'm sure that worked wonderful. I was the cheapest pieces of shit you could get. But I was like, oh my gosh, we should really get these knives. Because I thought, oh, that'd be great. You could just squeeze an orange. And of course, on the infomercial, they made it look like, oh, just amazing. Like, oranges. You know, just, oh, 
you know, jars of juice pitchers coming out of two or three oranges, you know, and then the whole audience. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think I didn't pass my essay on TV course. <laughs> I used to watch these things and I would just get sucked in. Yeah. I never bought anything ever off the TV. But sometimes I would just sit there and watch them for like, I don't know. It was almost like therapeutic because it was just such, just nothingness. Just, the only uh, ones I liked were the, the music collections. Oh, I still watch those. <laughs> I love those. Especially when you can find like a Time Life music one. And it's like Time Life music, 80s R&B with such hits. As Michael McDonald. Okay, Foga. All right, stop. You know, it's great. Roberta let's, Flack. Yeah. Let's talk about ghost stories. That, that's a ghost story right there. It's scary, but it's not a ghost story, <laughs> so let's move on. 855-853-4802. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Robert uh, from California. I called in way, or I didn't call and I wrote in way back uh, when the podcast first kind of started. And I had really a story about um, some of the houses I lived in growing up that were haunted and the one that uh, you guys mentioned was uh, the house that my parents currently live in they in one of the basement bedrooms um, we've had multiple times where people have seen uh, dark figures and you guys asked what uh, what maybe would have happened there before uh, we lived there well come to find out um, from speaking with my mom, come to find out that they, we knew that there was some people who lived there who were really heavily into drugs. There was a lot of abuse, uh, a lot of physical abuse, and a lot of mental abuse, um, especially towards their children. Um, we found that out later, and um, since then, I spoke with my mom, and she actually mentioned that um, when my dad is away, from for business, she will not be in that basement by herself. Um, she will not be in that basement by herself ever. And that was very interesting to me. The other thing was, um, she also mentioned when we lived in the Florida Keys that my brother, like he had before, mentioned was that man in the hall. She said that she turned, looked, and there was definitely a man in the hall who was holding a, like a beer bottle. He looked intoxicated, took a drink, and then slumped against the wall and fell down. Uh, the next time she looked again, he was not there. Um, those are just a few of the experiences that we've had. Um, a couple of things I'd like to um, bring up that you had mentioned, um, why the 3 a.m.? I did a little research on that, and the one thing that I found was apparently 3 a.m., is a hot time for supernatural things because apparently it's the exact opposite from the death of Christ. Um, I have issues with that just because what time zone are we looking at? Um, another thing that was brought up in an episode just barely was um, the pastor who told um, a young man that the veil would be uh, the veil would be lowered so he wouldn't see people anymore. Um, you guys asked a little bit about what that means, and I don't know if anybody's ever addressed it. In some religions, we believe that there's a veil between us and the, the afterlife. Um, with that veil being lowered, 
that just meant that he wasn't able to see them anymore. It was it's just harder. Um, hope that answers some questions. I will. I know how much you enjoy old ships, Tony. So I'm going to call back a little later and relay the story of my experiences with the Queen Mary down here in Long Beach, California. Um, so until then, thanks a lot for a great show. Bye. I'm looking forward to that call very much, sir. Thank you for clearing up the veil thing. We, I, I think we had heard that on just one call. And All right, Tony and Jay, this is Robin. I started and... it again. There we go. Sorry. Continue on. <laughs> and I don't think either of us were familiar with with what that meant. No. So I'm glad you cleared that up for us. Um, I'd heard the the exact opposite of the is it the death of Christ time is what 3 a.m. is. Yeah, it would be the opposite because uh, I believe it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, okay. So then the opposite would be 3 a.m. And a lot of demonic things tend to be opposites. Um, sure. You know, as far as symbolism goes. And we've heard that before, but, you know. It, I've it, also heard it's the three. It's mocking the, the Holy Trinity. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of, I think, things that go into that as far as symbolic, um, you know, terms go when it comes to dark entities and, and dark spirits and such. But I think regardless of why, we can kind of agree that that is definitely a busy time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm just writing down his number so I can find it again, because <laughs> so, I really want to hear the Queen Mary stories. Um, yeah. So I want to make sure that I can find his call. We, we had a lot of calls, so just trying to trace them back to who's who is just tricky sometimes. Uh, 855-853-4802, 855-853-4802 with your real ghost stories. Uh, another uh, response back about uh, some dreams. Interpreting dreams can be a bit tricky, and not all your dreams mean anything. There are just nonsense. Usually, the ones that you have during sleep are the ones you need to pay attention to. When recording it, just write down something simple, like, for example, being at school and being reprimanded or having an argument with a neighbor. Just general impressions. You don't need to get in too many details unless you think they're important. It's probably true. Yeah. As far as trying to recall a dream and bring it back up, I think a lot of times, you know, you you have such a small window, if you, but if you can write down some of the bigger picture thoughts, that may be easier than to dig back into the details if you can put some key points out there really quick on paper. Right after you have them. Have you ever tried doing that, like writing down dreams? I haven't. I should because I can't remember most, almost 90% of my dreams. I don't think I could read my writing in the morning. No. I can't read my writing usually. That's uh, true. When I write things down, more or less in the dark at 3 a.m. Yeah. You kind of write like a serial killer. No, I've always been told a doctor. I've never been told serial killer. That's interesting. Same difference, right? I guess so. Kinda. Okay. Yeah. 855-853-4802. That's the phone number. Hey, the, the gentleman who works at Heathrow Airport in London, and he said he was going to write in with some uh, some more info on some of the hauntings there. Okay. He's written in with some more info on some of the hauntings there. Good. I want to hear him. Uh, it says, Tony and Jenny, good day to you both. Hope you and your family are well. I emailed you a few weeks ago. And said, I would really, uh, uh, I would relate to you an experience I had while working the night shift at Heathrow Airport near London in the UK. So he is uh, calling in, or writing in rather, to do 
just that. I said in my previous email, please, could you please keep my identity a secret? Uh, as I am sure the company I work for would not be happy, I was telling you this story. Okay, so it was about 1984 and 1985. It was about 19 at the time. I've been working night shifts for a while, and I used to have to go from the hangar I worked into another hangar about 100 yards away. This hangar had four bays, two one side, two the other, with an office block and a cross between them. The bays were called North, East, and West, and South. To give you an idea of the size of one bay used to house a Boeing 747 aircraft, also known as the Jumbo Jet. The offices were on four floors. It was huge. Some of these offices had windows overlooking the hangar. I used to have to go to get aircraft check paperwork. The office uh, I had to go to was on the second floor uh, of the office. It was about 40 long by 40 foot wide. I had been doing this for a while, and I used my torch or flashlight to find my round the office, and I never used it. I used to put on the lights. This night did not feel any different to any other night I had done this shift. It was about 2 a.m., and I made my way up in the lift to the second floor, got into the office, got to the middle of the office, and froze. I was petrified. I shone the light around and could not see anything out of the norm. I stood there, not able to move. I was so scared. I had the feeling something was watching me, but I did not feel a nice thing watching me. I don't know how long I stood there, but I remember thinking, if I don't get out of here now, I'm going to die. I backed out of the office and waited for the lift. I kept looking back at the door, waiting for something to come out of there, but nothing did. When I got back to my hangar, I told everyone there there was no way I was going back there myself. As you can imagine, they never let me live it down. But I never did go back there myself. I never heard uh, anyone else having this experience or anything similar. All I know is before the airport was built, it was part of Hunslow Heath, where the famous highwayman Dick Turpin was supposed to have robbed people. I also know the hangar was built about 1950. All the very best, Steve. You know, airports, again, creepy places. What do you think? That's interesting because he didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. It was just all 100% a feeling. Yeah. So what do you I mean? What do you say to that? Is that a ghost experience? Is that a haunt? I mean, what is that? Um, I could see that being a haunting. Even if he didn't see anything, he felt a presence. And it doesn't sound like that's a normal occurrence to him. So that's why I would say it was a haunting. Because in other cases, it was just a normal night and also out of nowhere, on a normal area that he goes into all the time, suddenly one day, just bam, weirdness. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. I, I, I wish there was more to it. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's really hard to classify that as a haunting, other, and not just, you know, he had a really weird mood or really something struck you as, uh, I don't know. I, I wonder if he's sensitive in other situations. Maybe he is and he doesn't realize it. Yeah. I, I'd be interested to hear if there's other places other than just there at that airport when you had that experience, if he sensed that in other areas. And if anything's ever materialized out of that, not necessarily like physically coming out of the air, but something happening. Or anybody else saying they had the same experience. Yeah. Be interesting. It would be to hear interesting. Eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two is our phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online. Hi. Hi, Tony. 
Tony and Jenny. This is Megan. I'm calling back. You had uh, played one of my stories recently and had a few follow-up questions. Um, so I am the woman who called in who had uh, imaginary friends as a child um, and ended up going into uh, therapy um, to try to address those issues and you all had a couple of questions in terms of if my parents ever believed anything paranormal was going on and uh, what happened in therapy. Um, and I kind of found in thinking of the answers to those questions were really kind of some interesting stories within themselves. Um, but to kind of start off, so my mom and dad did always believe that something paranormal was going on. Um, they had a number of experiences with me um, as a baby uh, and small toddler that made them believe that. Um, but my parents had a rocky relationship and um, my mother, uh, they divorced and my mother remarried and it wasn't until uh, my stepfather um, and I had an incident that convinced him that it was a behavioral problem that I ended up going into therapy. Um, the reason why my mom and dad felt like they knew uh, was they both had a number of stories about uh, my great-grandmother um, who had died about two years before I was born, uh, that they sensed her presence around me. Um, and when I started to talk, I talked about um, my great-grandma as though she had been there when I was a baby. And uh, to this day, I still remember her taking care of me um, as much as I do you know, the other caretakers in my life. Um, and so they definitely, they felt like they knew in that way. And then there was also a, um, a period of time that I did something that at I don't know that they had a name for it then, but now I know it to be astral projection um, and something that I still experience as an adult. Um, but I had a number of health problems and I had to wear braces on my legs, kind of like Forrest Gump, and I could not walk without them and um, was still in a crib. And around the time of Johnny Carson's monologue, I would my parents said that they would hear giggling and that I would come running into the bedroom or into the um, living room, coming out of my bedroom into the living room. Um, and then I would giggle and r run around with no braces, no problems, um, walking. And when they would kind of come, come to me and I would run away back into my bedroom. They would run right after me. They said, you know, that they walked into the door just a second or two after me um, and that I would be sound asleep in my bed um, or in the crib. And I guess not exactly sound asleep because they said I would still be giggling and kind of kicking my legs, um, but that they said there was no way that I could have gotten in and out of the crib. Um, so that was kind of, I think, a, a neat shared experience that they had. Um, they sometimes joked about it being one of the few things that they could agree on was that I was a little bit touched. Um, the incident with my stepfather that end, had me end up in therapy uh, was 
pretty negative. It was, um, you'll recall from my story, um, one of my imaginary friends was a man in a rabbit costume um, who oftentimes uh, made me do uh, bad things to myself or dangerous things. Um, and by made, it was, um, it was always threats. Like, if you don't do this, something worse is going to happen to your family. Um, those kind of things. Um, but it was shortly after my stepfather had come to live with, uh, with us. And my stepfather was working out in the garage. And I walked into the kitchen, and there was a kitchen fire going on the stove. Um, and I remember, you know, being definitely, like, really shocked. And, you know, I hadn't touched anything in the kitchen, and I didn't know if my stepfather had been starting to cook something and walked away. Um, but the, the rabbit man was there. Um, and as I got older, like, um, these imaginary friends weren't as constantly present as they had been before, um, but they definitely appeared to me a lot, at least a number, you know, a couple of times a day at least. Um, and he told me to, and at this point in time, the fire alarms were going off. He told me to turn around, go into my bedroom and go into the closet and shut the door. Um, which of course caused um, a lot of it, it caused a lot of fear for my stepfather when he did. You know, he heard the alarms. He came. He put out the fire. He couldn't find me. Um, and like I said, he he felt like this must have been a behavioral problem, and he couldn't understand it because he felt like. I was um, really friendly and accepting and loving towards him, um, but that occasionally these things would happen that I would quote unquote blame on this imaginary friend, and he felt like it was um, you know some kind of passive aggression or something towards him. Um, and when I went to go see a therapist, I de she definitely acted like she believed what I was saying. I have no idea what she really thought, um, but she definitely talked to me like you know, like she believed me. Um, and we did a lot of visualization exercises to kind of make them smaller and smaller and smaller um, in my mind's eye. And I remember that it wasn't working um, and that uh, the therapist couldn't, um, couldn't get me to agree to it because I just, as a child, and I wish sometimes we all kind of held on to this innocence, I could not tell a lie. I could not say that they weren't there when I knew that they were. I could not say that I wasn't hearing them if I was. And I remember um, one of the, the middle-aged man started saying to me pretty often, fake it till you make it. And then one day at therapy, my therapist said that. And something about the phrase, I think I almost like made it like a mantra, started to help me um, actually, I guess, get the visualizations to work in terms of I just started to feel like if I pretend they're not there, I can 
like pretended away. Um, and the uh, two imaginary friends, the the girl and the middle-aged man, said that you know if I didn't want them there, they would go away, and they did. Then, um, like, I didn't uh, didn't have any trace of them after that. And that, but the man in the rabbit suit said that I could not make him go away, but if I tried, I would be cursed. Um, and he, I did try, and it did go away. However, uh, the next couple of years, um, strangers, friends, family, um, and even like clergy uh, members and a Reiki healer um, all told me either they sensed I was cursed or asked me if I felt cursed or made like a offhanded joke about me being cursed um, and to this day I don't know like what came first I, I had a very tumultuous um, few years after that and kind of still continued to in terms of my health and a good amount of depression and anxiety and I don't know what came first you know if I if I was just made to be um someone who is depressed and has anxiety and associated it with, you know, these imaginary friends and other paranormal things or did paranormal things enter my life early on and and make me feel depressed and anxious and I don't know. It's something I still discuss with therapists and I've yet to find any therapist who has like completely denied or you know said that they do not at all believe what i'm saying um however you know i don't know how much of that is a tactic on the therapist and um but it's something that i still struggle with figuring out and it's nice to hear stories of other people trying to figure that out and um i definitely appreciate uh you all uh taking an interest in my story and uh I have a lot more. So um, over the years, I think you guys are being on a long time. I'm sure I can uh, tell you some more. Thanks. Bye. Well, thank you for calling and following up on your story. Um, I definitely remember that story about the imaginary friend mm-hmm. in the bunny costume who's yeah. not good. I, that that one kind of stuck with me, and I'm glad she called and explained some things about that. And I wonder how often kids are legitimately seeing things and being told or scared into doing things or these entities are doing things and blaming it on the or the kid gets blamed for it and it's not a behavior problem you know how like she got you know blamed for it and had to go into therapy for it if there actually is something going on and they're just kind of like no really i didn't do it yeah i wonder how often that actually happens and we'll never know but i can wonder it's another reason why our children can't listen to the show because they'll just start blaming ghosts they're like no it happens to those kids on your show remember yeah and then we'll be like well (laughs) we already have one that thinks nothing is ever her fault yeah so (laughs) yeah we'll start getting ghost blamed for it um you know i think it probably happens you know it's very hard to say when and where because kids make shit up i remember making plenty of shit up Um, as a kid and adamantly denying it Um, and thinking for a long time most things were not my fault when truly they were completely my fault right Um, which is kind of part of you know being a kid but um, no I'm sure that happens 
You know, because it's interesting that we get so many calls on this show from folks. Uh, I'd say more often than not, where it's it's not starting out with this happened to me last week or this happened to me last year. It's when I was eight or six. Yeah. Six seems to be a popular age for things to yeah. start happening. Yeah, it, it's usually it's interesting because it does seem to be a lot of times before teenage years, mm-hmm. um, which is odd because we we hear that, you know, the teenagers can be very uh, common, especially with girls, to have, like, poltergeist-type activity. Sure. And, and energies and things of that nature, you know, energy disturbances. Uh-huh. Lights turning on and off, things moving around, not necessarily, you know, entities manifesting themselves, but weird things happening. Sure. But it's it's that, that pre-teen years where you hear a lot of the entities are talking to these kids. Right. Well, and kids are so vulnerable. Well, kids are vulnerable at any age, but at that age, you know, they, they've they only been in school a couple of years or, or less, and kids in classes with them are great one day and then mm-hmm. horrifically mean the next. Yeah. So there's a lot of emotions being played with, you know. Sure. And, 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 and everything's new. Right. You know, there's so much that's new. So when you have something that's paranormal that's happening to you as a kid, you don't know if this is normal or not. It's not paranormal to them. It's like, oh, maybe this is new. Maybe everybody sees these things. Sure. It's just a new part of my life. Yeah. <laughs> the strange woman that shows up in my, in my bed at the middle of the night and says things to me. Yeah, that happens to everybody, right? Huh? <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what I think a lot of kids probably would think. Yeah. So there you go. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Real Ghost Stories Online, an encore presentation of some of our best ghost stories we've ever gotten. If you have a real ghost story, you can call it into us at 855-853-4802 or write in on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. And remember, if you want more bonus episodes that you can feed off of anytime you want, just sign up to be an EPP through our website as an extra podcast person at realghoststoriesonline.com. Until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to Real Ghost Stories Online.